Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Tim Rasmussen, and you're listening to Pop Violence. This podcast is going to be a conversation between myself and a dear friend of mine named Reka about the 2019 film Jojo Rabbit, written and directed by Taika Waititi. Me and Reka, in addition to being classmates and colleagues, also used to be co-workers at an office of public safety, where we'd often lose track of time having conversations about politics and social issues and philosophy and all sorts of different things. And hopefully you'll enjoy getting to know her through this conversation, just as I've enjoyed being her friend. But please, yeah, say say a little bit more about yourself, I guess, before we talk. Uh, I I don't have too much to say about myself. Uh, I'm Hungarian. I went to BYU Hawaii, where I got degrees in peace building and psychology and minors in cultural anthropology and theater. So mm-hmm. I really love learning and yeah, and we work together for public safety, which is really fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also took some anthro and peace building classes together. Yep. And yeah, right now I'm a mom of three kids, so I'm mostly with them <laughs> these days, but we'll see what I do in the future. I really enjoy learning about peace building and just analyzing like the things which happen in society and current news and everything. And uh, one of my favorite classes was in intercultural conflict dynamics. Uh And I think um, I, I learned a lot in, in that class about like groups, group dynamics, things like Mm -hmm. that. And I think many of those things can apply to this movie as well. So yeah, so I'm excited to just discuss and analyze it from like the conflict violence perspective, this popular, because Jojo Rabbit was a really popular movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. And I can definitely definitely vouch for that. I feel like that's something I was always really impressed with about you, Reka, is that you were always in every class you could be in and learning so much and just so engaged in, in those kinds of ways. And so you, yeah, I, I'm really excited to talk with you about it. So yeah. What, what is your, what would you say is sort of your general, general review? And then maybe like, what, what are some of the things that stood out to you as you're watching it? I like the movie. I like the director. He's uh-huh. great. Yeah. And so it tackles a, uh a serious topic like fascism white supremacy like nazis um so those are some subjects not many people dare to like uh make art or movies about uh understandably because it's also like very tragic that area of history and the oppression and the genocide and everything but Taika Waititi made a movie about it, and he's, as far as I know, he's part Polynesian and part Jewish. So mm-hmm. um, maybe probably that's why he felt like um, he can 
like he can make a movie about this subject and make fun of uh, Nazis and and that era and show it through a 10 year old little boys through a 10 year old little boy's eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think the movie is good for the general public because it's easy to understand it. Like in some ways, it, it can might seem like it's a little bit superficial, but like for the general public, it's easy to understand it, uh, what's going on. It has a clear message. Um, and it has uh, some funny moments. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I think it's, it's, it, I think it's a good movie, really, for the general public. I don't know what, what do you think about it? Yeah, um, I, I really love the movie. Like it's, it was one of my favorite movies that came out in 2019. I don't know. Have you seen Hunt for the Wilder People? Mm-mm. you've never seen okay so I, w- I want to i heard it's really good oh it's so yeah. good yeah it's and it's like a similar kind of humor this one's a little bit different and you can tell this one's a little bit less indie than that one is mm-hmm. like that one's a little bit more like geared towards like a, a very much like a new zealand audience and mm-hmm. and a little bit uh yeah it just kind of lands differently but this this film i i think you yeah, it's just so curious like to watch it because there is like a lot, a lot, a lot of movies about the World War II era and like things that happened during yeah. World War II. But this is a really unique one, I think, in that it not only is it from the point of view of a 10-year-old, but it's also from the point of view of a 10-year-old Nazi. And mm-hmm. it's also incor- incorporating elements of comedy. And yeah. What is like most impressive to me about that in like regards to, I guess, the topic of this podcast is just how doing something bold like that from like a creative standpoint, I think really sends the message to the viewer or it can send the message to the viewer of just how how there was sort of an element of like normalcy um, for the Nazi and the for the Nazis and the German people and like the coexistence of those things and like the the I guess the the reign of Hitler during those times and because you know I think that like sometimes we think about World War II or we think about like fascism and Hitler and the Third Reich and all these things and we think like oh that is so like beyond anything I could comprehend Mm -hmm. but I think that like it was it was you know, we get we get like a little snippet from this movie of just like the, the normal normal pace and the normal I guess rhythm of life for these German people. But you know, Jojo, at least mm-hmm. for half the movie, is like a full blown like Nazi who believes all these really terrible things and and is you know embracing this you know one of the the greatest uh, atrocities that's ever happened. And so that's just it's really really. Um, like kind of shocking but it's really important i think you know nothing makes sense anymore yeah i know it's definitely not a good time to be a nazi what's up pop violence listeners this is tim i just want to give a quick plug for the platform that i use to curate and publish pop violence anchor.fm if you are looking into starting a podcast i would say that anchor is a great option It's free. You've got all your editing tools right there on the website. And it's really simple to get your stuff distributed to a lot of different listening platforms. And so if you want to go check it out, go check out the Anchor app, download it for free or at anchor.fm if you're interested in getting started.
So here, right off the bat, Reka and I start to prod at this characteristic of the movie that is maybe the most fascinating thing about this movie, but also the most challenging. And that's the fact that it balances this tone that feels like a kid's movie that has comedy, that has a lot of bright things with a context and a theme that is characterized by violence and trauma and trying to understand not only how that's possible, but understand why, why that could be meaningful and how we understand uh, some of the more uglier things that we associate with this time period. And so me and Reka are going to continue to get into this balance and to talk about it a little bit. And I think that part of what is important with this and something that has been identified by Taika Waititi as well was that he wanted this film not to look or feel like your sort of typical Holocaust or World War II film, but he wanted to lean into some of the realities of the time period. And he talks about how it, that Germany in the 1930s and 40s was was a leader in, in terms of fashion, and they had this thriving culture in a lot of ways that was also existing parallel to the atrocities uh, that were taking place under the rule of Adolf Hitler. And so I think understanding those coexisting realities, things that we would typically not associate with each other, especially because of the way most movies would depict these this era and these types of things, gives us a little bit of an insight into the fact that this is something that that happens in reality, fascism and and violence and and atrocities. And so that's where Reka and I continue uh, to go. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was my thought as well as I rewatched the movie. That's actually my first note that it's interesting how they, uh, how this movie takes place in this is really tragic era of mm -hmm. history, but still has like a kind of um, com comedic or comedical funny tone, mm -hmm. and also just shows like these normal moments even for the Nazis. Yeah, and 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 makes makes fun of that, but shows just like normal lives for Germans at that time. And I I read mixed reviews about it. Many reviews thought it's it's a really good movie, and Taika Waititi did a really good job of portraying it. And then others said that they didn't like how he portrayed like nice Nazis. Like they mm. said that it's not really what the world needs to hear right now that there can be nice Nazis as like white supremacy and nationalism and all these things are rising all over the world. So yeah. I don't know, it was just, I just read that in one of the reviews and I thought that mm, that was interesting. Yeah, what would you, what do you think? Like, do you think that it's a good thing that he showed Nazis like that? Or do you, which of those reviewers would I, you agree with? I think it was, I, I liked it. It was wasn't my thought. It was one I read in a review, which I thought yeah. yeah, I think it's also a very good, very good thought. Yeah, I haven't even thought about that, but it really put portrayed Nazis in the movie like these uh, goofy, funny, <laughs> I don't know, lame people with these like ridiculous beliefs. But and also also only showed like 
it, it, I think it's good that he like ridiculed their beliefs and like, I don't know how idiotic what they think of Jews and other and Russians and like everyone, because we could hear so many like stupid stereotypes in the movie from the Nazis about uh, other other groups, other people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that that part was I think he did it well. Nazis had many stereotypes in the movie, not just about Jews, but about all other groups and other people. And it's good that he ridiculed them yeah. with those views. But like the some of the other reviews were like that he didn't go into um, more seriously on like how much harm these views and dehumanization of other groups, how much harm the Nazis caused with it. Because like portraying them as like these uh, funny goofy like stupid people yeah. i think it's good too because because it will for the general public they will get the message like this is wrong like hating people is wrong like stereotyping people um mm-hmm. is bad but yeah it's it's not a very serious movie anyway so it wasn't i i don't think it was his purpose to like um do justice to like the victims of the holocaust or the genocide mm-hmm. it's just he he just wanted to show like why hating certain groups is so stupid especially fearing uh those who uh we don't know like how jojo had these ideas about what jews are like and like these really silly ideas not not even realizing that he probably knows jews around him Mm -hmm. and uh that's why he was so shocked when he met elsa the girl who lived uh who lived in his sister's bed behind the wall in his sister's bedroom and like wow she's a jew as well she's seems like a normal even likable girl so yeah i think that it's interesting like yeah that like the two faces of the movie because i think that there's like sort of the goofy um and comedic like ways mm-hmm. that the, the movie like ridicules what it means to be like a nazi and to like sort of these ideologies that are like sort of steeped in like violence and hatred. And he takes like some shots at those through comedic avenues. But I, I still feel like he, he ha- there are some like really serious moments that like take shots at that ideology as well. I feel like the scene that like really stood out to me this time watching it as like a really serious scene that felt kind of like a crux, like a, like a crossing point of like a lot of different emotions as well as like just the themes we're crossing was obviously it starts with one of the like the saddest moments of many movies is when you know he finds his mother um yeah in the town square like that was really sad oh it was so heartbreaking and i remember it's so bad because the lead up to it is just like uh he was just following a butterfly and it was a sunny day and like uh i remember when i first watched it i was shocked like i thought it's like he's only dreaming like it's not reality but then yeah that's what i thought because i'm like Mm. it didn't really fit with the tone of the movie i'm like there's no way that his mom gonna die in this movie like no and i don't know it's, it's just it was just shocking to me i found it shocking as well it it And I think that I think that that was maybe partially intentional because maybe it was I feel like it was shocking for Jojo. Right. Because like maybe to him, like, you know, life wasn't that things weren't that serious, you know, but then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, you know, they they kill his mother. And it's like, yeah, it kind of comes crashing down. And 
the the next scene i think is like equally as impactful but maybe not talked about as much because i i see a lot of people in like different like cinema groups like talk about the scene where they show her shoes and everything mm-hmm. um but the next scene after that he goes back to the house and mm-hmm. he, when he's he stabs elsa with the knife mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then he just sort of like gives up on stabbing her with the knife even and there's like no dialogue and it's just this very like it's heartbreaking it's, yeah it's really really heartbreaking and so I felt like I felt like that whole sequence was like a really like strong message being yeah, sent true. about about that like sense of hatred and and the fact that Jojo like didn't know who to blame um, yeah and I found that yeah. really interesting yeah yeah that was and that was pretty much in the center of the movie so Mm -hmm. until then it was like all these like funny things like um this you know Taika Waititi playing the funny Hitler uh saying stuff and doing stuff and it was just like like a like uh it was just like a play like a game like oh we dress up in uniforms and we do high hitler and and all this stuff and mm-hmm. i think for jojo as well until then it was all just like a big game of like oh we need to win this war like the fatherland is so important and like hitler is super awesome and all that stuff and jews mm-hmm. are the bad people and then until then but then when that happened uh, that was really heartbreaking and like the tone of the movie in those two scenes were different than uh, before and after because it wasn't like funny at all like it didn't mm-hmm. have have a, a comedial element or anything like it it was just heartbreaking it just showed the. I think those you're right those two scenes like showed the reality the real reality of the tragedy of that era which impacted like which impacted uh, Jews in big big numbers but also impacted Germans and others as well and those who fought in the resistance and their families so yeah so that was really sad two scenes it was yeah but it it's it was needed for this movie for sure because it because th- those gave some serious mm-hmm. um perspective as well yeah yeah definitely and and I think that I'm going to use this to segue a little bit. Um, I feel like that part of like that breaking down for Jojo at that part Mm -hmm. has to do with how connected he was and how core Nazism was to his identity. And I'm wondering if you had any thoughts on that, or even if you have any notes on anything else, if there's anything comes to mind. Yeah. Um, so how is Jojo's identity connected to violence Nazism? Like, oh, we could see from the very beginning how he's standing in front of the mirror and like, oh, I'm going to become a man because I'm going to this little Nazi camp and they're going to show me like the real things and mm-hmm. how to fight and all that stuff. And that was true in that era. Like they raised young boys and girls from the beginning for like violence to like uh, hate the enemy and fight. And we are only we are the good people and we have Mm -hmm. to rule the world because we are the most special people and everyone else is bad around us. So we have to fight them and kill them. And and uh, they taught little kids uh, from a young age to do stuff like that. Like that example, when those older Nazi guys told Jojo to kill the rabbit. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's true. They did stuff like that in these uh, little Nazi camps mm-hmm. um, to kill to kill puppies, kill little dogs, or kill little rabbits, just to teach them to desensitize them to like, 
oh, you can just kill. You can just learn how to kill without thinking. And and then they point them to like who they need to kill. Like they teach them about how Jews are wrong or Russians or Americans mm-hmm. or whoever. And um, so they were terrible, like fanatics, like raising little kids from the beginning that um, they need to kill or even sacrifice themselves because there is a greater cause, like the fatherland, their group, like their group identity. Uh, what they need to protect is the most important and most special uh, in the world. So, yeah, so Jojo like bought into that mm-hmm. and I and it, many, many, many people did. And in one way, because uh, groups belonging to a group uh, give people like security, a sense of belonging, like these are my people, I I believe in the same things they do, I fight for the same things they do. Uh, And I think that's what Jojo liked as well. There was an interesting scene in the beginning when they were like, let's go burn some books and they were burning books. Yeah. And then the, and then the other people were laughing around them, the other Nazis. And then Jojo first was like confused, like, what the heck are we doing? Like burning books, but why is it good? But then as he looked at them, like smiling and having a good time burning books, like he started smiling as well. Cause I think he had a sense like, oh, this is where I belong. Great. We're Mm -hmm. here fighting for a greater cause training, burning books and I think he needed that sense of belonging uh and also just from his character's uh, side like we know that his his sister died and then his father went to war was doing something else and so I think he just tried to fill 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 that up with like being a good little Nazi being mm-hmm. that his goal and like admiring Hitler and yeah yeah I think that's how he, uh, his identity started being raised in violence yeah and many many people during that time like many 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 people and there are still groups like that these days so yeah yeah. I'm I totally see that and I think that even like to like a lesser extent and like a sort of like a lighter extent I think that there's even like broad broad populations that still sort of embody some of the characteristics of uh, exactly what you're describing like just taking on like that 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 group identity and taking on that uh, that feeling of being secure and that that feeling of being part of the group, um, mm-hmm. you know. Because I mean, I don't think it's. I mean, in my own personal life, I don't think it's as extreme, definitely as like JoJo's. But I think that there are like certain like lighter uh, shades of it, even in like my life and like mm-hmm. the way I was raised and. And even in even in the United States with like certain like nationalistic uh, mm-hmm. notions that are just sort of weaved into the way you're raised. And I think that those are all things to look out for. And I think, like you said at the beginning of, the, of this conversation, like a lot of those sentiments are being like ramped up right now in the last, what, like five to 10 years, you know, things mm-hmm. are getting, things are getting totally. more extreme. And we just saw a lot of that here in the U.S. And you've definitely... Yeah, all over the world. Yeah, all over the world. Yeah. Like tribalism is getting stronger. What do you mean when you say tribalism? Like how people uh, keep it important to belong to one group and they believe that they are the most special, whether that be a nation, a political group, a religion, um, or, or whatever, and they're really willing to do anything to defend that group mm-hmm. uh, and defend its leaders, uh, even to the point that they don't see the faults 
maybe their leaders are making and they just rally blindly around the leader like uh Vami Kwoken, uh if you remember mm-hmm. um he wrote that book about blind trust and it's all about like tribalism and group regression and those stuff and he has this expression of rallying blindly around the leader and we can see that even today that some groups are just really rallying blindly around the their favorite leader they have these leaders named on their flags and they're willing to yes. do anything to defend like they wouldn't accept any kind of criticism or anything like that which is very very unhealthy and can lead to like really bad outcomes like i think that's kind of how it started in the 30s in germany mm-hmm. like uh hitler was someone who decides being a terrible thing doing horrible things like okay he helped the economy and this and that uh yes. and then people and then he like created order so people uh, so people liked him to the extent like how we can see in the beginning of the movie when mm-hmm. um it was it was really yeah i think it was really cool what taika waititi did that he mixed up the german version of this beatles song with the pictures of mm, like yeah. of the 30s germany how they went crazy for hitler and that's kind of insane if you think about it and like even how they how they greet each other saying hi hitler like they put up and like in the movie how uh taika waititi Titi playing Hitler said like oh I have bombproof legs and I have unicorn for dinner mm-hmm. and that was all kind of what Jojo thought about like oh Hitler being this like godlike person who had mm-hmm. has like bombproof legs like nothing bad ever can happen to him and that was a 10 year old thinking about Hitler but sadly even adults these days uh admire some leaders like that I think yeah. I mean that's a tendency um I see We just heard Reka mention a book by Turkish psychologist Vemik Volkan. The book's called Blind Trust, Large Groups and Their Leaders in Times of Crisis and Terror. And while this book is not comprehensive and not without fault, it does a, a good job of, of bringing up some, some terms that we can work with while having this conversation, two of which are large group identity and large group regression. Vulcan describes identity as sort of this sense of self, this idea that we are able to differentiate between ourselves and what we are and what the rest of the world is. And as we are becoming affiliated with different markers and uh, large groups, those become part of our core identity. And that's where large group identity really forms as there's large groups of people that share these similar characteristics or these similar uh, designations and Vulcan brings up a few categories here ethnicity nationality ideology religion and a few others more importantly possibly Vulcan points out this term regression he describes it in this way Regression in an individual involves a return to some of the psychological expectations, wishes, fears, and associated mental defense mechanisms of an earlier stage of human development. This happens when the individual is presented with certain threats or dangers. 
Vulcan goes on to point out how these large groups, large groups of people, also experience this same type of regression. Vulcan says, Activities such as rallying around the leader, exhibiting flags, attempting to purify the group from those whose names or skin colors suggest that they may be affiliated with the enemy, and dividing the world into clashing civilizations may be related to concepts such as patriotism and national security. But they are also aspects of large group regression, as I will illustrate. Thus, a group's realistic efforts to feel secure merge with expressions of human nature under stress. And in certain areas, reality and fantasy become blurred. Regression itself is not good or bad. It's a human condition that appears in individual and large groups. But regression in large groups is subject to manipulation by political leaders. Vulcan continues, Leaders and governments can exaggerate people's need to have enemies and allies. Some leaders may help people differentiate where the reality of threat ends and where the fantasy of threat begins. This lessens anxiety. Other leaders, due not only to what is called national interest, but also to their own personality characteristics, may magnify the dangers, increase anxiety, and help the group to remain in regression, which itself will have further societal and political consequences. In times of crisis and terror, leaders can heal or poison their followers. sort of these types of uh, elements become very visible in the conversation that me and Rake are having especially as several of the attributes of large group regression like Rake identifies rallying around the leader become very apparent in the Nazi Germany situation and as we continue in several other situations They, they all had like these comedic moments in them. I feel like all the scenes with Taika Waititi there playing Hitler, I find them mm-hmm. really, I found them really interesting this time because it's really, you know, it's obviously just, it's Jojo's, it's, it's a representation of Jojo's inner thoughts, you know, his inner thought processes. And mm-hmm. it's, it's sending the message that inside of Jojo's mind, he has this idea of who Hitler is and he turns to that idea in order to, you know, gain insights on what he should do next with his life and how he should go about um, carrying himself and seeing the world. And so he's literally adopted Hitler into his sense of identity and into his, his way that he views the world. And as we get towards the end of the movie, he, you know, Taika playing Hitler starts to question Jojo and really we know that's Jojo questioning himself but it's like it's like the internal Nazi that he was raised to be questioning this more human um, or I guess humanized version of Jojo um, Uh where uh you know when like you know Adolf says to him like you know why are you why are you being so nice to Elsa or like why are you talking to her so much or are you starting to like her or something or is she using her superpowers mm-hmm. on you and I and I and I had kept like pausing and thinking like okay so this is actually Jojo talking to himself through yeah. his own view of Hitler which I found really fascinating 
Yeah, well, in social psychology, we learned uh, many, many like similar things. What we really did in, in the intercultural um, mm. conflict dynamics class, so like about like group regression and group thinking, um, and all of that. And yeah, in this movie, uh, Jojo has an identity crisis at one point, and yeah, we know that like Adolf Hitler figure was just in his head, like that was his uh, Nazi identity and then crashes with his like real self or I don't know, at one point and then starts having this conflict like, so why are you helping the Jewish girl and like those mm-hmm. are questions he's asking himself and yeah, that's definitely, definitely a very, very interesting part. Yeah, and I think that can happen in real life. That happens in real life with yeah. people when they like hate a certain group, uh, whether that be a political group, like people of a, a certain group, whether that be like political or religious group or nation mm-hmm. or ethnic or racial, gender, uh, whatever, until they maybe become friends with someone from that group. And then they start to question their earlier stereotypes and assumptions about those people. And then then it changes. And then they have, a, and especially if like their whole identity or their life is built on that, then they have this identity crisis on, or conflict in themselves that, oh, so so what? how I was raised and what they told me about those people is, is not true because I met someone from that group who's, who's like totally normal and I like them. So what now? So I think that's why the exposure to people who are different from you is uh, so important, like segregating ourselves and surrounding ourselves only with people who think similarly to us um, has that danger that we will demonize others who think differently from us and it's just a little simple story in this case that like mm-hmm. jo- jojo a little nazi boy met a jewish girl who he's supposed to hate but he starts liking her and then it changes his views so that's just a little simple story but it can happen in big in society i don't know what what are your thoughts about this or yeah, I mean, what's on yeah. my mind, what's on my mind right now with it is when someone is presented with um, evidence against what they already believe very fervently, mm-hmm. that can often make them believe in the thing even more. Does that, does that ring, true. does that ring that's a bell? That's true. That's in social psychology as well. Okay. That's true. And That's why it's hard to like um, convince people through arguments Mm -hmm. Um, because like, yeah, I remember talking to one of my psychology professors about it, specifically about like how, for example, my mom believes in all kinds of like conspiracy theories. And like, Mm. I asked him like, how can I convince her that that's not true? And he said, like, the more I try to convince her that it's not true, the more she will believe those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that so that's that's definitely a thing, and sometimes that's why it's hard to win uh, with arguments because yeah. they will more strongly believe what they had before. I think change mostly happens through personal experiences. Like that's just my um, life experience. Like when, mm-hmm. for example, I had some prejudice towards certain groups mm-hmm. um, because I actually never really had friends from this or that group but when I became friends with people from that group like 
I totally, it totally changed my perspective. So, but it didn't go with argument or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It was through personal experience. So yeah, I mean, it's really hard because not everyone has those experiences. So yeah, and yeah I don't know how we could make lasting change in that regard because with arguments, sometimes it like really backlashes. So I don't know. Yeah, it's so tough. And I that's what and then I, I'm prompted to like think, you know, in I guess in regards to the film a little bit, like thinking what worked for Jojo was like you're saying personal experience but i think there was also like a degree of just like the humanization like that at one point she was dehumanized and it was not an argument that like rehumanized her but it was just like him actually experiencing and like actually getting to see firsthand like her humanity and like having that connection with her that really mm -hmm. made him realize you know that there was an error and it's just it sometimes it just feels so hopeless, you know, because I think about and going back to what you were saying earlier, like, you know, the, the whole book burning thing. That part really stood uh -huh. out to me this time around, because I think that we have even like today, I feel like we really do have like we have book burning going on, but it's not actual like physical burning of books, but we have, you know, this tendency in societies that are moving toward fascism is there's a there is a tendency uh -huh. towards the sort of this uh despising of education uh despising uh -huh. of intellectualism like a, against academia yes yeah and, and all those things yeah and we so, talked about that before well, that's a tendency yeah, yeah. Uh, and i think that relates yes. back that relates back to everything like it relates back to the dehumanization like how can you how can we try to move past and like try to transform or dismantle these like systems that are leaning towards oppression or atrocity or fascism or whatever with when the, the reality of so many people that support them is not dictated by any sort of um, avenues of information that are grounded in reality, <laughs> you know? True. Yeah. Like this whole uh being against academia that's we talked about it before uh mm -hmm. you and i remember and, that, and that's that's really a tendency what i see from people like all over social media uh, on some new sites that distrust in like science distrust in academia uh, more and more conspiracy theories because they offer like simple um simple solutions to complex questions really and that's why many many people are into them especially mm -hmm. since the pandemic started like uh, that's just um, raised the amount of believers in these conspiracy theories and that certain yeah. leaders were yeah. perpetuating them we're still doing that mm -hmm. uh, you know and then that distrust I, I've heard from people like oh science is the biggest liar or or like yeah like uh, academia is only leaning to one size so don't get an education don't go to school and those can be like unfortunately as you said can be hopefully not but in 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 many many times during history were signs of like fascism so yes. that yes. that's really scary that's definitely um really scary and I I don't really know what to do about that. Yeah, it's so tough. You know, it's really tough. And and I think that, I, you know, I don't know. I'm always trying to make like an allegory or like a parable out of the movie. And I feel like the, I feel like it's not, it's not, a, a, it's not like outlandish to think that the sort of 
really fantastical ideas that Jojo has about Jews and all the other Nazis have about Jews in the movie are not that different than a lot of the conspiracy theories that are really popularized right now. Yeah, and a lot of them, a lot of those do actually, some of them do actually target Jews still, but many of them, yeah. you know, target yeah. intellectuals or they target just like this, this amorphous blob that people call the left or they call uh, liberals mm -hmm. or whatever the word might be. And so yeah. I, I think that there's, uh, we can equate those two things to an extent. And then I think the question becomes like, so how did, how does someone like Jojo get broken out of it? And it was through this humanization and this, this uh, connection. And then mm -hmm. thinking about how that could be possible in like today's situations, it just, but I guess once it's, once you're in the actual context yourself, it just feels it feels so much more insurmountable. And I think in the age of information too, like I imagine in the movie, it shows like there are different methods of propaganda, but I feel like nowadays there's so many different, there's so many additional um, medium for communication, like mass communication. And so there's way more different ways that people can get, you know, different ideas that will sort of embed these. Uh, oh yeah, totally. <sighs> Yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, it's so interesting. Like to me, who um, studies social sciences, like observing this happening right now, like reading narratives from people, like um, seeing this this phenomenon of like the conspiracy theories rising and stuff like that, is is very interesting. Very very interesting. Like why why people start like believing in this stuff and what motivates them? What is missing? Um, why they turn to like these sites or, or these sort of like uh, fake information, false news and stuff like that. <laughs> yes. uh, but also, also, yeah, also scary. Uh, yes, very much know, so. I, I, yeah, and like this de uh, demonization of like certain groups, like political groups or intellectuals or uh, races or gender or uh, other genders or whatever. Yeah, it's it's really scary. And like some of these conspiracy theories, what are um, what are surrounding us right now, are also uh, as much as ridiculous as the ones Jojo um described in mm -hmm. his book about uh jews right like yeah. i don't know if you heard i don't i don't even want to give any examples examples but you probably yeah. heard some of the conspiracies uh mm -hmm. about certain groups uh and and they're crazy like they're insane and um but many people fully believe in them mm -hmm. um they, they even so there are many in surrounding the united states right now like with the presidential election, new president, and mm -hmm. all that stuff, but they reached to other countries as well. Um, and it was crazy to read what some Hungarians believed, like surrounding the American election um, as really? well. So these conspiracies that, like, okay, now this guy is the new president, but so he's 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 this he, he's this terrible people who's like doing these crazy things like the ones you hear in conspiracy theories mm -hmm. um and then they believe that these conspiracy theories are simple and mm -hmm. maybe because they get translated easily they only get access to that kind of information and mm -hmm. not really like actual uh facts or more credible sources and like um mm -hmm. uh, it's really weird and shocking what people believe uh, all over the world and how much they bought into these conspiracy theories yeah so interesting but also shocking and scary 
and a, a good example of this is even just the well not a good a bad example a, a terrible thing was just the um you know the assault that happened at the u.s capitol that mm-hmm. that was more or less you know all the all of the motivation behind that was really like founded upon these ideas that were not true the consensus from credible sources and from the courts and et cetera, et cetera, is that, you know, the, the election results were that Joe Biden won and Mm -hmm. there's, you know, an army of people that have uh, shown up that don't believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally rejected that. But like, um, to be honest, Trump was perpetuating that as well. Like yes, he didn't yes. accept the results of the election for many, many weeks. Well, even um, even leading up to the election, I think that we talked about oh, this, yeah. like that for like six months leading up to it. I feel like he was sowing and like sort of giving people, um, you know, the ideas in their head, planting the ideas so that they wouldn't believe it when it went, if it, if he didn't win, you know? And there are people who still don't, don't believe it, like both in Hungarian and English uh, language groups I, I hear about like okay like all right like Biden's inauguration happened but just wait till the spring and then during springtime Trump will come back and they're gonna have a new um, new election like they're they're saying stuff like that so there mm. are what I talked earlier about like rallying blindly around the leader mm-hmm. uh, like that's really dangerous because it like really undermines the democratic process and everything like many people are unable to accept if it's not their um, favorite or not their leader who's winning the election or it mm-hmm. can be a sports game or anything like that yeah. but like I don't know like to my kids when they play a game and then one of them loses like uh i teach them like okay so you accept that like you try not throwing a tantrum if it was a fair game and mm. most times yeah it is and and just accept it but like here we see adults grown-ups behaving like in like like very important like very important and big things like the election of the most powerful country in the world and like not accepting if they don't win it and then uh keep perpetuating these uh this fake news this false news and not accepting it that's wow that that was shocking to me to see like I don't think I've seen anything like that um in my Mm -hmm. life before Mm -hmm. on on such a big scale like that people behaves uh I mean I mean yeah like he behaves so in an immature way and Mm -hmm. yeah that was just shocking to me And, and of course like if if a leader there's a leader who behaves like that, who is loved by many, many of his followers. Of course, they're going to um, follow his example. And I think that's what led um, to that incident. Um, when they attacked the Capitol itself, they thought they can overturn like this uh, whole uh, process of democracy. Yeah, that was that was just wow. That, that was like a really, really, really intense and sad as mm-hmm. well because it caused some people's lives as well so it's just you can it's just you see like how to what extremes this thinking can turn into and these beliefs so that was really sad yeah I'm, that's why i'm glad that uh, this i think that this um coming into planning out my 12 episode season for the podcast i had selected jojo rabbit to do it early on because of my thought process was uh, I can do the Truman Show for my first uh, episode, 
because it's so like fundamental and like very like uh, lofty and very, um, you know, I, I guess just very like theoretical and basic in some ways. And then I was like, I'll do Jojo Rabbit because that's a very clear depiction of, you know, different dynamics of violence that are just very yeah. overt, you know? And I think it's, the timing has been impeccable in some ways because it's, it feels, in a scary way, it feels like very relevant. Yeah. It, it feels like the, so many things that I read about, like like we've been talking about a lot in Vamik Vulcan's book or even other sources about these movements that are, are you know, centered on violence and, so many of the the things the just these sort of predictable or rep, replicating uh, tendencies between these movements um you know if you just switch around the symbols and switch around some of the faces and maybe a little bit of the verbiage um from what we see in the movie it's mm -hmm. we can identify it around us you know and that's it's really concerning yeah. Yeah, totally. And it's it's a really timely movie and and uh we can see like um how like just the cultural violence can lead to structural violence and then di mm -hmm. direct violence like it was during that time um before and during the Second World War and in the 30s of Germany. Mm -hmm. And what's really concerning to me, <clears throat> I see that happening in nowadays. I see it in my own country in Hungary, mm -hmm. like very, very much, very, very concerning. Uh, also in the United States and in other places in the world as well. Yeah, and that's that's where it starts really, I think, with cultural violence, like mm -hmm. having those beliefs, beliefs about uh, mm -hmm. other groups, like how dangerous they are and how we don't need them in society and how they're only causing harm and and other stereotypes like forming about certain groups, which can in like extreme cases lead to like first like like structural structural violence um mm -hmm. towards them and can lead to direct violence what unfortunately happened um during the holocaust for example but i'm really hoping nothing like that happens or no word war again or anything like that and i have ho i have hope that it's not going to happen and i have hope that we are smarter mm -hmm. like many many decades already passed but when seeing these tendencies and when seeing some political leaders who perpetuate um, this way of thinking is really concerning for sure. And that's why peace building efforts are extra needed in our time, mm -hmm. I think. I'm going to take a quick pause here just to comment on the fact that our conversation has evolved from getting into these ideas about identity and large group regression into comparing a lot of the events that are depicted in Jojo Rabbit to events that are happening right now and all around us. And I want to make sure that I put forth the effort to acknowledge that this is in no, may, no way meant to be disrespectful towards the people who survived or didn't survive those traumatic and, and terrible atrocities that happened in the past. But this is part of the difficult conversation that pop violence is all about, and that's trying to understand the violence that's around us and the movements that are going towards violence. That being said, Reka does a very eloquent job of taking this entire conversation and putting it into some of the 
terminology that I established in the previous episode of Pop Violence about different levels and degrees of violence and how to understand that word. And I feel like another thing I want to add to that, just to make sure that we can continue to wrestle with this in a meaningful way, is to note that one of the things I talked about last episode was the fact that this violence portrays itself and comes about in ways that feel normal and are not typically easy to identify for that very reason. And so while I think some of the moments that we're experiencing right now, it may seem a bit of a stretch to compare them to the events of the 1930s and 40s. It's just that very sense that what's happening right now is not as big of a deal that would allow things to get that bad. And so we're going to continue to have this conversation and to wrestle with contemporary events before we finish off this conversation. Yeah, it's so true what you're saying. It's just uh, uh, seeing like these logical fallacies, like this false equivalency. Um, Mm -hmm. When people say like, oh, storming the Capitol is just the same as the Black Lives Matter protests. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if you heard narratives like that. Yeah, I've seen uh, them. Yes. Yeah, but some some people think it's totally the same thing, and like and those Trump supporter extremists are are totally had the same experience as as black people uh, for hundreds of years, and they can equate the experience like okay, protesting for Black Lives Matter is just the same as storming the Capitol uh, because mm-hmm. Trump didn't win. It's it's just insane. Like like yeah, like people really try to like mesh these things like falsely equate them and that's and that's cultural violence towards towards black people who yeah. actually experienced oppression for hundreds of years and like storming the capital because my candidate didn't want uh this time is is not the same thing but i don't know some people try to hint that like it's it's really just the same thing it's just protest protest it's the same thing it's it's not the same thing um yeah and I, I don't know what that was just my thought. No, I agree. I totally agree. And I was what I was going to I was going to think a little bit about the like, I feel like some of the most intense. Um, I guess you could call it cultural violence, you could call it hate, you could call it probably a lot of things. But I think there's been a lot of disdain around like the protest that took place this summer. And I'm thinking like, OK, so. And there is a lot of conspiracies as well and a lot of uh, hyperbolic uh, narratives and discourses and exaggerations. And it's not based on, you know, people's races technically or overtly, but the types of narratives and discourses I've seen people talk about, about Black Lives, people who support Black Lives Matter, for instance, Mm -hmm. um, that is, is, is concerning to me like there's there's mm-hmm. it's got it's definitely got some parallels um and yeah it's it's just uh but then I, but then like on the other side it, well i'm not i'm not gonna i'm not gonna play the other side i think that the only thing to say about the other side is just you know how i guess it's just the question that we were talking about earlier is like how do we de-radicalize how do we transform um those things because you know we can't just we can't just hate hate it you know like if we just hate it it won't make it go away you know yeah 
um i think yeah. that we, yeah i think we can condemn it and we can not we can say that we won't tolerate it but we have to find ways to transform it and that's the, yeah the challenge i guess yeah i agree with you and that's a really good point uh on a non-violent way not with mm -hmm. hate uh i remember the class um i think did you take it as well about nonviolence? That there were so many uh, thoughts in there which were so influential mm -hmm. um, on me and on my philosophy of how can we reach peace and um, <clears throat> and that there is really like a, a better uh, nonviolent way and like uh, yeah and like hating a group even if hating a group and being violent against them is not really effective in the long mm -hmm. term yeah and that's for sure and and if we think about it that's why people kept having wars for thousands of years because they felt justified in in attacking or just using violence against another group mm -hmm. um but there has to be there has and but it, but wars and they cause so much destruction tragedy loss it's just terrible terrible like there yeah. really has to be another way a better way to deal with conflicts interesting question for sure and i hope um that we as humanity uh, we really have a better way and not perpetuating really this culture of violence um yeah. in the world yeah yeah that's such a good point and i think i feel good i feel really good about where we've been able to go with this conversation as well because this actually reflects really well back on my previous uh podcast episode about the truman show and this exactly what you're saying like this culture of violence um this this and like I, the reason i bring that up with the truman show is the truman show i think in, gives us a lot of insight about the construction of reality and how that happens through culture and we get that a little bit more practical in jojo rabbit with this you know construction of reality for jojo is directly imbued with this violence of nazism yes. and mm -hmm. and yeah i mean we have to find ways to transform that and to and to move on from that and and i think that this has been like a really good conversation to sort of grapple with some of those ideas and and yeah, I think, I mean, I personally, and like for my own orientation, like I, my own personal philosophy, especially like I'm very much a believer in nonviolence. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. yeah. But I also, I also recognize, I also recognize that there's like a, a, a degree of privilege to that, to me be able to say. Totally. That yeah, I, can I feel wanted to mention that. Yeah. Yeah. I can feel comfortable saying like, oh yeah, I believe in nonviolence. Um, and I, and I think for me, it comes from like a principal place and also like a pragmatic place. Definitely. Like I also acknowledge that my privilege as someone who, who never really lived under direct oppression, um, mm. like what was in that area era, uh, in Germany or what many, many other people experience right now. Mm -hmm. So I can say that I believe in nonviolence but I actually never lived in a conflict zone or mm -hmm. anything, but I, but I still do believe that lots of benefits of like handling things in a nonviolent way um, for sure. But I would never judge um, how, I don't know, anyone else uh, chooses yes. to handle their conflicts or especially if it's connected to hundreds of years of oppression or, yeah, you definitely. know, yeah. yeah. 
you asked me about like uh favorite scene and yeah. i just wanted to mention the one so i thought a lot about who's my favorite character because you yeah. asked me that question uh -huh. i don't really know but maybe maybe a rosie played by scarlett johansson yes. yeah because she's trying to play this like like she, like she was a good character like like this cheerful playful mom caring for mm -hmm. her little son like accepting like okay he's believing all these little nazi stuff but then she's with the resistance and mm -hmm. hiding a, a jewish girl uh in her home and then i think one of the most interesting scenes was when jojo and rosie they were walking um on the street and then they stopped and saw um uh, the people who were hanged the people mm -hmm. of the resistance and then jojo said something like oh what did they do like implying that they did something bad and mm -hmm. then jo rosie just said whatever they could mm -hmm. like uh kind of switching it that they didn't do a bad thing they did whatever they could yeah and and that it turns out that that's what she was doing as well and yeah. um that's why they killed her as well but it's and a nice it was just kind of also like a teaching mom moment from a, from a mother to a son mm -hmm. of like what did they do like don't like don't judge them like not necessarily who gets punished did the bad thing but they did whatever they could especially under that like oppressive um era so yeah. i think that was a really interesting scene yeah thank you so much and one of the other parts of that scene that was really um, interesting to me is, you know, Jojo, he tries to look away and she grabs his head and makes mm. him look. Did yes. you catch that? I thought, that, uh -huh. was, I thought yep. that was really interesting. And I mean, I mean, yeah. we could talk about that. We could talk about that a whole, a whole nother topic. And I think that that's some, that's a huge thing. And I think that that also shows a little bit of, I don't want to say Jojo's privilege, but yeah, Jojo's privilege in a way that, um, yeah that you can look away like yeah. oh these were probably just bad people they're hanging like but i'm yeah. being a good little nazi so i have nothing to worry about yeah yeah he's part of the, the oppressive group and so he's like i can look away and you know i cannot acknowledge the humanity of these people that have been killed and i can not acknowledge the violence that's going on because it's not affecting me but then rosie turns his head and says like no you need to look at look at them and yeah and i think that i do that i know i do that and i feel like um i feel like bailey actually helps me sometimes um by like making sure that i'm or pushing me the way rosie pushes jojo right there to like not just like look away from things that are upsetting um yeah true because it's easy it's easy it when is. we have a certain privilege to just like look away especially when we see others in like terrible or unfortunate circumstances or situations and we can just say like oh okay i don't care my life is great i'm not under oppression i don't experience that but it's it's mm -hmm. a really good example that rosie forces jojo to like don't look away just mm -hmm. look yeah just see what others are going through as well um yeah that was a really powerful scene as well for, uh, for sure yeah definitely her her character was so good i i really really liked her. yeah this time yeah. I, I felt like i came away like i really really liked elsa this time i mm -hmm. she was she was so feisty and so funny mm -hmm. she's funny in yeah. a dry way uh, yeah. but rosie scarlett johansson uh was i thought her acting was really really good she got nominated for best mm -hmm. supporting actress yeah i know and yeah it's just a just yeah really good 
Yeah, she yeah, she handled it really well, like mm -hmm. not arguing with Jojo because like I know I'm sure she was annoyed with like his little Nazi fanaticism and everything, mm -hmm. but he just kept loving him and not arguing with him, just like playfully saying sometimes like, oh, I'm happy because the war is ending and stuff like that. But um, yeah, she was a great character um, in the movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I was. And I, and uh, yeah, there's another scene I would I would love to talk about, but I've also kept you for quite a long time. So uh, it's OK. Go ahead if you no, want it's to. Just the, it's just the one, one scene where she. Um, where she puts on the jacket and the fake beard um, and pretends to be his dad. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. you know, she actually kind of snaps, I think. And she says something to him that she wanted to say to him was like, don't talk to me that way. But then, oh, yes. But then she like turns and she kind of like has the conversation with herself. Um, like, don't be yeah. too hard on him and like, go tell him you love yeah. him. And, so, and I was like, she is yeah. just, she's just so endearing. And I think that there's a lot of layers yeah. to that as well yeah well yeah she she that was a really good parenting moment um <laughs> for her like uh, to me as a parent like oh that's admirable when my kids uh yeah don't behave when when they don't behave the way i think it's respectful or anything like yeah mm -hmm. i can learn a lot from that to handling in that that playful way that was really yeah that was a really touching scene yeah there's just one other quote i i liked when because okay. you mentioned elsa Mm -hmm. When Elsa um, told Jojo that that you're not a Nazi, you're just a ten-year-old kid who likes dressing up in a uniform and really into swastikas, but you're not one of them. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that was that was uh, that was also really interesting, and that was a powerful moment for Jojo as well. I think because because mm -hmm. uh, he was really not a Nazi, like he didn't even want to kill the rabbit or anything like that. Like he wasn't into those terrible things Nazis were really into. He just liked dressing up in a uniform and belonging and admiring a, uh, he thought he he thought wonderful leader uh, having him even as his imaginary friend, but he was not actually a Nazi. And I think he had really no idea uh, what the Nazis were doing. Um, it was, hmm. he was just an innocent little boy really um, bought into this, um, like brain brainwashed into this, dress up play that you're a nazi and but he didn't really know what what that whole thing was about um and it's good yeah. that elsa confronted him and told told him that because he was really trying to so hard to say like yes i am a nazi yes i am uh this and that but no he he was just a kid really just to him just playing until he faced the reality uh, of what Nazis are really doing, especially towards the end. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally, there's so many thoughts that you just brought to my mind with that point. And the first one that comes to mind is, and this is a little bit, uh, this is a little bit uh, out there, but it almost feels like a, that's like a constructivist approach to uh, thinking about like large groups, like Nazis, even like meaning. And what I mean by that is like, it's an, it's the idea like that, nazism is just a social construct it's just like a it's not real yeah. like he's not really a nazi he's just a kid that mm -hmm. is, is into these certain things and taking that approach this sort of like thinking of it as a social construct you know externalizing it a little bit from the human and trying to you know go after them um, but the other thing that comes to mind for me from that that is kind of powerful 
is is trying to think about the different roles of people in in how Jojo was transformed and therefore how we can transform uh, you know large scale cultural violence in our own context and hmm. you know Elsa she did confront him and she did she did a lot of work to to really go after him mm-hmm. um, and like but like we were saying I feel like the the most powerful thing that she even did was just surviving and just living and I think mm-hmm. that Rosie Rosie says that to her doesn't she she says like you know as long as you're yeah. alive as long as you're alive they can't win and yeah, I think true. yeah that really comes to fruition in some of those scenes that really what what really at the end of the day what destroyed the Nazi in Jojo what you know prompted him to you know fully reject the Adolf Hitler inside of his little soul was just mm-hmm. Elsa just living and just her existence. Yeah, that's true. And yeah, her yeah res- just her just her being there, being a human, just being there, surviving. Yeah. Um, and and having that connection with Jojo because they were friends at the end. That yeah. yeah. And so that I really think transformed him. Yeah. And so I think like when I think about what the takeaway could be for this, at least for me, as like coming to it from like a a a, a, a very privileged and person in u.s society and in the global sort of context even is just thinking about what are ways that i can i mean the number one most important work is to do the work that that jojo does and to to eradicate the the remnants of any kind of like really uh you know deep senses of like hatred or cultural violence that are within me and then try to figure out how i can be how I can be like Rosie really and mm-hmm. the person that's there to support and to help and to bring about the transformation because you know she's the one that's able to facilitate even though she doesn't actually know that they are becoming friends it's because of her um, housing Elsa and her sort of holding that space for her and also just her parenting of Jojo that allows the space between Elsa and Jojo that, you know, eventually transforms, yeah. transforms yeah, like, autism. Yeah, totally. Like, like it, it made me think of like Ibram X Candy. Mm-hmm. Um, he has that, uh, I, I don't know if it's an exact quote, but something like that, that like um, you're either racist or anti-racist. Mm-hmm. And uh, that can be applied to like uh, any other like prejudice toward any other group as well. Like, I feel like, we constantly, like every day, we need to fight these prejudices in us because um, it's a constant work. Like we can never say like, okay, I, I finished the work. I'm not racist anymore. Or I don't have prejudice mm-hmm. toward any other groups anymore. Like, wow, I reached that level. And so my work is done. Like, no, it's it's a lifelong work. It's everyday work. Like uh, examining like what prejudices do I have and towards which group and um and finding that in ourselves, like thinking about that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And not letting that like prevail really. So it's, it's an everyday work, like fighting those prejudices toward any, any other, uh, any other people, any other group of people, um, whether we know them or not. So that's a, that's a constant work. Yeah. That was just my thought. That's and, a really good yeah. point. Thank you so much for coming on here and doing this with me. I really, really loved being able to talk with you. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. This was really cool. I, I really loved the conversation. Like, 
It's really cool. I'm, I'm glad we talked about this because this is something really important. Thank you for listening to this edition of Pop Violence. We'll be releasing another episode in two weeks' time. But until then, please engage with us on Instagram, pop.violence. And if you have a moment, it would be incredibly appreciated if you left a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.